I'm excited today because I don't find a lot of excuses to be able to preach from Ecclesiastes. It's typically a book that you want to stay away from as a pastor. Again, because it just brings up questions. What about this? And what about this? And what about that? Um, What we're going to do is we're going to use this passage to kind of jump us into this season of Lent for us and to kind of get a better understanding of why is Lent important? Um, Why do we do these things? What is at the heart of these practices, uh, if you would? Let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we just come to you this morning, and Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. And those words feel trite coming off my lips. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do what we can't do, that you would begin to move just to prepare the ground of our heart and our minds, that we would be pliable, that we would be ready to to go deeper with you, that we'd be willing this morning to allow our emotions and our thoughts, our perspective on life and on you to just be shaken a little bit. Ask that we would be a ground that's been uh, prepared for seed. And we ask that you would break up the ground this morning. If there are places of emotions or thoughts or just attitudes where we're not willing to change or to allow you to, to affect us, we ask that just the, the sharpness uh, of the Word of God and the Spirit of God would begin to pierce and to break through this morning, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what are we talking about here, right, with this whole passage, this uh, extremely encouraging way to start the morning, right? From dust to dust, correct? Uh, it's a passage that kind of draws a little bit from Genesis 3, and the idea that whenever um, Adam and Eve are forced to leave the garden, the departing word is that from the earth I have formed you, and to the earth you will return. And it was the way that God was saying that from this point on in this world, in this reality, you will taste something that I never intended for you to taste, death. And it is the one thing that is dramatically different on the outside of the garden, if you would, on the outside of the will of God, the, the intention of God for man. And uh, with Ecclesiastes, it's just, we have a rough kind of snapshot of Solomon's life and just the way that he grew up, if you would. Uh, Songs of Solomon is just this, this, this shot of Solomon as a young man. He's a young man in the world. He is wealthy. He is wise and intelligent and sharp, and, you know, he has power, influence. And, of course, what do young men really care a lot about? Other men, would you speak up? Are you not that brave this morning? Okay, it's going to take guts this morning, okay? Young men care about women. Okay, so when he was young, what is he all focused on? Women. Proverbs is a snapshot of this man who has all this wisdom, and he, he kind of rehearses the lessons that he was taught by David, and then his own kind of observations. It's this man in the middle of his life just trying to figure things out. How does this fit here? How does this work? How do I feel about this? Here's how my father sees this. Here's how I see this. I'm not sure where things are going. And of course, we end the life of Solomon with Ecclesiastes. It is one long lament. It is this man who has seen, done, tasted everything that this world has to offer, and he has found it is wanting. It is lacking. There's something missing. 
And at the end of his life, where he had everything he could ever want, he accomplished everything that he could accomplish, at the end of a full life, by all standards, he is left with these statements. And these statements are harsh. And he basically comes out and says, in the NIV, he says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men, but he's held it back for himself. Meaning he's put in us this desire to live forever, but he's kept that gift for himself. In essence, God is, he's torturing us. He's put a burden on us that we, how can we bear it? Because there are few humans who are born with the desire to die. It's not something that is natural for us. It's, it's the opposite. Most of us have this innate sense of how to distance ourselves from the idea of death. We hate going to funerals. We don't like those sad movies where the child dies. Or um, I watched some super sappy movie the other day. What was, what, oh, you know, there's so many of them. You know, they fall in love, everything's perfect, and of course it's raining and she's driving. Y'all know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> and that happens. <laughs> you know, we hate those. I mean, there's a, a small part of us makes us go, ooh, it's so touching. And the other part of us goes, ooh, life is fragile. I don't want to think about that. We find ways to avoid these topics, these things. And as a pastor, what's interesting for us is we get a glimpse into how people respond when they can't hide from death anymore. When someone passes away, when they get sick, when there is tragedy in their life. The way that people react when they can't hide from that reality anymore. It's amazing how they react. You never hear anyone talking about money or jobs or accomplishments. It's always regrets. It's always people. It's always relationships. I wish I would have spent more time with this person. I wish I would have made right with this person. I wish I would have told my parents I love them, blah, blah, blah. It goes on, and, and this is where they find themselves. When they're face to face with the idea that they are finite, that their life is fragile, and it has an end to it, it forces them to evaluate and say, what really matters in life? And they always come back to the same place. It's all about the people in my life. One of the things you see when someone's in the hospital and they are slowly passing away, they begin to have um, hallucinations. And it's always about family members, always. It's always about their mother or their brother or their, their friend or, or a spouse. Again, it's never about their favorite bass boat or the basketball game they went to or, you know, their degree from college, again. There's something about facing death that just kind of restarts the human heart and the human mind. It makes us run back to what matters. If you would, it's almost like restarting a computer. It puts us back to default. It puts us back to the way that we were created, where we go, this is what matters. And so what's important for us to understand about Lent, Lent is the season where we are 
would take 46 days, if you would, to step back into our relationship with Christ. It's 46 days of intentionally finding ways to remind ourselves of what matters most. And it starts with a day called Ash Wednesday. Do you guys know anything about Ash Wednesday? Okay, I'm learning about this whole thing, about Lent, Ash Wednesday. Uh, the, the churches I grew up in, this was devil stuff, Catholic stuff. We don't do all that crazy stuff with the ashes on the forehead, right? Have you guys ever... Um, I think it was the oddest thing, the first time I saw someone who was walking around with the ash cross on the forehead. Have you guys seen that before? So uh, Ash Wednesday was this past Wednesday. And the way that we start Lent with this Ash Wednesday is we start with these two things. Mortality, which is, of course, the idea that we must face death. And secondly, this idea of Repentance. In the Old Testament scriptures, the ashes, when someone would repent, the nation, they'd find themselves in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, I think it's Ezekiel even. You see a prayer where he tells the entire you know, uh, uh, nation, it's important for all of you guys to run back to your homes, find ashes, and put the mark of repentance on your foreheads, that we are turning back to God. And of course, ashes, that they also carry this meaning uh, which goes all the way back to Genesis 3, where God tells us again, from the earth I formed you, and to the earth you return. And Solomon even ends his, his lament with that statement, that dust-to-dust dust statement. Now, what's the value? Why do we need this? First of all, this. There is an importance for us as Christians to allow ourselves to be reminded of our mortality. There is a needed time for us every once in a while that we need to just kind of sit still, brace ourselves, and kind of come face to face with what is real and what is not. And the reason this is so important is because there it, there's a perspective that only comes from this place. There are desires and intentions and, and thoughts and emotions that will only arise up in you when you're faced with this serious truth. What happens for us is we, we insulate our lives. We find ways to, to create enough cushion between us and things that just bring pain or discomfort. We find a way to keep ourselves busy. We are such a busy people, Right? I, uh, I think it was Thursday, I was having kind of a stressful day, and, and uh, you know, I, I was going from one job to the next, uh, and I had my computer out, books out, my phone out, and I had this spare moment of free time, and my response was, oh no, I have free time, what should I do? So I, I grabbed my phone and just started doing this. Yes? Anyone else? What in the world is that about? It's amazing how fast we can scroll, right? I mean, it's amazing. You're like, oh my goodness, I've just read like 100 posts. We're back to last Tuesday already, you know? It's but why? What is so frightening about doing nothing? What's so scary about being, being idle? What's so scary about just being alone with our thoughts, if you would? 
What's scary is that in solitude, in the quiet, in loneliness, in boredom even, it's amazing how hard it is to lie to yourself when you allow yourself to be quiet. It's amazing how hard it is to hide things from yourself when you slow down. It's amazing when you're doing this all day and you're just... (laughs) It's amazing how little you actually think. Yes? It's amazing how... how easy it is for us to go through an entire day without ever actually stopping to evaluate anything, to question anything, to think about anything. We're just get caught up in this constant motion that takes us nowhere. At the end of your week, what have you really accomplished? To-do lists and calls and, you know, built a wall or send an email, you know, nothing. And we just rush, 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 so on Saturday we can, you know, hit the lake and do something else, or we can sit down on TV and not think about anything else. And I mean, we just find a way to, to, to rush and rush to nothingness. We are in, a, in, a, in this amazing hurry to go nowhere. I need that promotion so I can do more nothing. I need more money so I can buy more junk. We'll call it junk. And we speed ourselves down this path with no destination. We're just going. We don't know where we're supposed to go, but what we know is that everyone's walking really fast and we're supposed to walk too. Have you? (laughs) I shared that trip uh, when I went to Chicago. You know, I I walked out of the hotel and I was walking, you know, just kind of thinking in my own head. And I realized everyone's just, and you just start, okay. You don't really know why, but you don't want to stand out, you know? And what's sad is is it's amazing. There are moments for us in life when we realize how fast we are rowing nowhere. And we realize that so many years have gone by and what has happened that matters to us. It's amazing how much there's those moments with family or friends or with your children, and you go, this that's what matters. How much time have I spent with these people? You know, um, having kids, uh, having young kids is this amazing blessing because it's so easy to tell how fast time flies when you have young kids. You know, they're this big and they're this big and they're that big. And you know what I mean? You're like, oh, time's moving very quickly. Uh, <laughs> he was crawling and now he's driving a car. Things are going a little too quickly here, right? So, Lent, Ash Wednesday, uh, Ecclesiastes, the, I do not encourage you to take that passage and to say, well, see, the Bible says there's a time to kill, so I'm going to go murder someone. The Bible says that life is meaningless, so just enjoy today. <laughs> the value of this passage is it gives us a perfect glimpse into what this world has to offer and it's all empty. To the man who had everything, the man who was wise and intelligent and sharp, he had power, he had influence, he had money, he had fame, he is the one Hebrew king who's actually found in history. He's the first king 
who we have proof that he existed. We don't have a whole lot of evidence that David existed because he wasn't very famous. His kingdom was not very impressive. But Solomon, we have proof that this man existed because his kingdom was so prominent that there's proof that we can find all over the globe of the impact he made on the world. He was looked up to and adored by other nations. This man was, again, he's the epitome of what this world has to offer. If this is what you live for, here is the most that you could ever expect from this life. And at the end of the rowing and the going and the accumulating and the doing, he, he sits back and says, if I'm honest with myself, this has no point to it. It's worthless. If this is all that I'm living for, then all there is to life is enjoyment and pleasure. That's it. Because you've only got a few moments, and they're, they're moving fast. And the reason that we as Christians have to allow ourselves to embrace this is because we have a faith which is built upon two concepts, death and life. The cross and the empty tomb. We have a faith that is fundamentally about embracing how short this life is, embracing how pointless this world is, outside of God and outside of serving and loving, and that this death, this living this life in a way that to the world looks pointless. We live a life that seems to be contrary to the stream. We are surrounded by a world that moves and moves, and we're the people who are standing still. This is the heartbeat of the faith which we profess. And in order for us to ever actually enter into that kind of lifestyle, it takes us being shaken every once in a while. There's never a time that people get more serious about God and more serious about the people who they love than when they're faced with death. It just shakes you in a way that nothing else can. And again, it's amazing. It's the one thing that all of us run away from. We just run from it because it's scary. Just pulled up my sermon. It's not the right one. So I've been rambling, just trying to think about what I'm going to do. This iPad's slow, so it's going to take me a while. Oh, we got it. Here we go. So here we go. So what happens with this, there is, there's a perspective that we get from death that we don't get anywhere else. Okay? Uh, we struggle to place our time, energy, and heart into the things that matter most. And what happens is it's, it's often it's only death that really allows us to focus on this thing. Um, there's a statement which is made on Ash Wednesday of, uh, we didn't do it this year because I was afraid I'd freak everyone out and you guys would just like run for the hills and that place a cult. Okay, but millions of Christians did this this past Wednesday. What would happen is you have a line, and when you come out front, the, the priest or the minister would have ashes, and they take it in their thumb, and they put it down your head, they do a cross. And what they say is they say, uh, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are finite, you are frail, you are this, and that you as this will return to something bigger than you are. 
Again, that just sounds so encouraging, and the idea is that you just jump up and down and say amen and, you know, sing hallelujah, and on the way out, you, you know, have your tambourine and sing and rejoice. Most of us have not grown up in a church that knows how to be sad. We've been told that as Christians, there's only times to rejoice. There's only times to praise and to declare victory. And so when we hit sadness, when we hit loss and pain, we don't know what to do with that. And see, the Bible is full of lament. The Bible is full of people who knew what to do, holding the hand of God and then embracing pain and loss and disappointment. And Lent is one of those seasons where it prepares us. It prepares us to experience loss in this life, but it also prepares us to live in a way that only loss and being aware of loss can actually do. It enables us to live as dead people. Let me explain that. Have you ever been around someone who's been given a death sentence, who's been told, you have a week to live, you have a month to live, okay? Those people don't give a hoot about your opinion of them. Agreed? Those people do not care about their bills. I'm not telling you not pay your bills. That's not the point. Those people don't care about the latest car or the, the, you know, getting uh, the best job or the best house. Those people don't care about any of that. They're going to live with purpose. They're going to make the most of every second that they have. And most of the time, those people are going to spend it with the people that matter most to them. And in the scriptures, the apostle Paul and Jesus himself the common analogy of what it looks like to be around a follower of Jesus is to be around someone who is dead. We are people who, to follow Christ is what? To pick up our cross and to deny ourselves daily. These people who carry around an instrument of death, the ultimate symbol of killing your flesh, which is not just your desires, but living in this world. We are to be people who live as a people who, who have a death sentence, people who don't care about anything that doesn't really matter. And for us to ever tap into this, it takes this kind of process, having to formally fix our feet and allow ourselves to wrestle with things that, that, that scare us. Now, what happens in this whole process, when you are faced with your own mortality, when you get this perspective that, that you only get from this experience, what happens is there is an effect on your heart and your mind, and you begin to realize that there are two things that matter. First of all, if this life is, is coming to an end and I don't want to die, then I need to figure out who or what is my way to life after this life. It is this place of coming face to face with the fact that everyone in this room will face death, that you realize the plans I have this afternoon don't matter. Things on Monday don't matter. What matters is I need to find if God is real, if Jesus is actually the one who can take me through death to another life that will never end. If this person, if this God really can do this thing he claims to do, then I need to find out what it's going to take. So the first thing that comes from this perspective is it makes you get serious with God. And the second thing it does 
is it makes you get serious about the things that matter. It makes you evaluate what in this life really matters. And when you begin to evaluate what really matters, here's a scary challenge for you guys this week. If you would write down, if you take a few minutes, 15, 20 minutes, just to sit down and think, pray, what really matters in this life? You put those things down. And then, next to it, jot down, where does the majority of my time, my energy, and my thoughts go? Where do I put myself the majority of my time? Where am I investing myself? Where am I pouring myself out? And I guarantee that those two things will not line up. And so what happens in this place is the focus on, on uh, Ash Wednesday is first the mortality because when you allow it to just touch your heart, it gives you that perspective, that focus, that, that, that energy to set things right that only that experience can. And after that touches you, the second thing that comes into your heart is the need to return to God. The word we use in the Scriptures the need to repent. Now, in the Scriptures, I think that we've all had some different ideas of what it means to repent. It means to be sorry or to feel bad about things you've done. But the first place we see this, this idea of repentance is in the Old Testament. And the idea was always very simple. It was always, if the people of God, if, the, if Israel would just return to God, he would make all things right. And the way that they understood returning to God was this thing called the Shema. And it's something that we pray a lot here at Grace Church. And it's, it's this, to love the Lord your God with everything in you. To repent is to, to return. If you would imagine this, it, it, it's almost like you're carrying things that matter most to you. Here's my emotions, here's my time, here's my energy, and I'm going to return these things back to the place that they need to be most. It's not just feeling sorry about it. It's not just an emotion. It's not just, oh, I messed up. It's, I want to return to the place that I once was. And when this perspective, when you allow death to shake you a little bit, it makes you say, I need to, I need to get back to what really matters. I need to get there. And what's amazing about the reality for us as believers is that now, as followers of Jesus, this mandate is not just to return back to God. We're not called to only love God with everything in us. We're also called to love God and, and then to love. Wow, I haven't taught you guys anything good. <laughs> this is the one thing I want you to know. Love God and love your neighbor. And so for us, it's not just this invisible thing. I'm not just going, okay, you know, I love you, God. It's I love you, God, and because I'm returning to you, I'm returning, I'm bringing my emotions, my vulnerability, my time, my energy, and because I'm putting these things in you, that means I'm going to be putting these things in you. You can always tell the first sign of someone who's struggling with God. The moment someone begins to get bitter, hurt, offended, just, just you know, just kind of when they're experiencing pain, the first thing that happens is we pull back from, from here. When I'm pulling my, my, if you would, myself from God, when I'm turning away from God, you will see it in the way that I pull myself away from you. And when you find someone who's a mature believer, when you find someone to imitate, if you want to know the people to imitate your life after, find the people who live their life fully invested in people. 
And you'll always find that those are the ones who are fully invested in God. This is what it looks like to live as a dead person. Because anyone who's sane knows that to live your life for other people is what? Fill in the blank. Stupid? Dangerous? Dangerous? Do what? wouldn't use that word, but yeah, it is, it is something that will not pay off for you in the end, likely. You will be misunderstood, mistreated, hurt, betrayed, let down, disappointed. This is what we do to each other. Because the moment that I get fully invested in God, oh, I'm just going to live fully invested in everyone. <laughs> and I come to you, and I just, I'm vulnerable, my walls, and I'm honest with you. Hey, man, you know, like, here's who I am. I love you. I just want some time with you. And you're not in that place yet. You still got your walls up. So did you hear about Pastor Devin? <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. And so this is what we have to go through during this season. The way it needs to work is this, that as a community, as a family, we all get shaken at the same time. The goal of Lent is that we all go through this at the same time. Because what happens is this. Most of us, we kind of have our own personal walks with God, and only that. And so what happens is, I'll lose someone I love. It shakes me to the core. I am ready now to live a life that matters. I'm ready to love you, to trust you, to be vulnerable with you, to be honest with you, and I come to you ready for that. And you are not. So what's going to happen to me? I'm going to get shut down, misunderstood, rejected. I'll get talked about, ladies. Hey, if the stereotype wasn't true, prove me wrong. Stop talking about people. It's not guys talking about people because guys just want to sit there and be quiet anyway. Guys, start talking. <laughs> if the stereotype, prove me wrong. And so you come to that small group and you share your heart, and then all of a sudden you hear all the way around the circle that so-and-so was talking about you. You get so excited to spend time with this person, and then, of course, you're about to go have coffee with them or to go out with them, and they just happen to cancel. And then the second time, and the third time, and then you realize people stink. I was right the first time. I was right the first time. People really don't care about me. I'm just going to kind of go back into my hole. And what happens is we all begin to kind of, we're all going through this at different times. The goal of Lent is that we would all get shaken at the same time. And we would all be ready. We'd all be at the cusp, ready to put our walls down, ready to take God seriously, ready to take each other seriously, and that we would step into it together. That when we step into it with God, we're stepping into it not alone with other people. This is the heart of this season. Um, this is the goal that we have. And uh, it's not going to come from Scripture readings. It's not going to come from your prayer. It won't even come this week from uh, not buying your Starbucks on the way to, uh, to work. What's going to come by is by allowing these things in life in general to nudge you to a place of honesty. This life only starts when you're ready to get honest. I've been trying to disciple people for many years in Christ. 
And I, I've changed the material. I've changed how I do it. I've changed. I've, I've tried to tweak a hundred different things. And, and the goal was always, how do I help these people grow, Lord? And I found out that there's one commonality. The people who grew were always the ones who were ready to stop playing games. The people who were ready to sit down, be honest, and to share their insecurities, their fears, the ones who even cussed at me, those are the ones who grew up. And then the ones who sat down with me and said, oh, I'm just blessed and highly fair. I'm just happy to be your pastor. I'm just so blessed to be under your teaching. Those are the ones that, oh, you're, such, you're so great. I, just, I love Grace Church so much. And then six months, hey, where'd that person go? Oh, they're on to the next church. That's right. We were number 10 in the line. And we can all be that person. I've been that person. We've all been there. It's not to put them down. We will all be that at some time. Because in that place, it's just a sign that we're not ready yet to grow. There's only one way to grow in Christ. Vulnerability. I don't care how many prayer meetings, conferences, sermons, classes, prayer, anything. When you're ready to be vulnerable with God and with people, you will grow so quickly it will shock you. It demands honesty with God, with yourself, and with others. If, we, if this would be a place full of honest people, it would also be a safe place. It just would. It'd be a place that you would want to come. I wouldn't have to try to, you know, pull you guys by the ears to small groups. There's no harder thing to get you guys to show up to than small groups. Because you all know, what's the point of small groups? What's the point? I can sit home and talk and joke with people, you know, people who I like even more at my own house. Hey, we got snacks at home. But small group, if, if there's actually a point to small group, it's a setting where we all know there's going to be that moment where we're going to talk and we're going to share things. And who wants to do that? Would you guys stay with me?